Hello and welcome to The Shepherd's Voice, the podcast of Stockton Covenant Presbyterian Church here in Percival, Virginia. My name is Ben Franks and I'm here with Pastor Charles Biggs. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we are coming into the season of Advent now, so our, our question today is really drawing us into uh, the main truth and theme that we that we meditate on in this season, and that is the incarnation of Christ. Um, so, Pastor Biggs, can you help us just as we enter into this Advent season and prepare for Christmas to, to, to kind of sketch that theology of the incarnation and, and how the incarnation helps us to better understand and commune with the triune God mm-hmm. as a whole. Yes, yes, that's um, the the incarnation is such a, a a rich central teaching of Scripture. When Paul is writing to the Ephesians in chapter one, verses three through fourteen, particularly, he uh, cries out. He he blesses God. He praises God with the blessed be the Father. Uh, who has uh, in love adopted us in Christ before the foundation of the world, the one who's elected us from the foundation of the world, and the Son who has redeemed us, and the Spirit that has sealed us unto the day of redemption. It's a wonderful, as one has put it, a waterfall of uh, glorious praise words uh, that are given to the triune God. And the central uh, reason for that praise is that humanity of Jesus Christ is the enfleshing of the Son of God in time, because it's through, as Paul says in chapter one, through his precious blood. And God is the eternal one. He's the infinite one. He is spirit. He is one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we throughout Scripture, get this progressive revealing of God's truth where we see that there is this agreement or covenant between the Father, Son, and the Spirit that in time, the second person of the triune God, as we call him, the Son of God, will become flesh. And there's this, what's called often the eternal covenant, taking it from Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, that says that there was a kind of conversation from eternity past between the Father, Son, and the Spirit, a covenantal agreement that all the covenants we see in history and time uh, were actually uh, first in the eternal God before time, before creation. And we see this in Psalm 40, for instance, verses 6 through 8, where uh, the Father is promising uh, to the Son uh, a certain rewards where the son is saying, here I am um, as your servant, um, a body you have given me, an ear that's literally bored to hear you, to listen to uh, the Hebrew would mean to obey, to a bored ear, not a bored like uh, like like dull or apathetic, but 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 a hole dug in the ear as a symbol or as a picture of how this one who will take a body to himself will hear and listen and obey. And it's very important. And we find uh, other scriptures, for instance, uh, the main mother promise of Genesis 3.15 is that the seed of the woman, a man, uh, will come and crush the head of uh, the serpent. We have with Abraham uh, a promise that he will have a seed. He will have a seed son. Isaac was laughter. Uh, He was a partial fulfillment of Jacob, 
uh, Israel a partial fulfillment, but ultimately there'd be a seed son who would be a son of Abraham. Then we have David, and David says uh, to as Lord to my Lord to another king greater. Uh, he's promised in Second Samuel of one who will come from his own body. Um, who will build the dynasty and house of David for all eternity. And this greater uh, son of Adam, this greater son of Abraham, this greater son of David will come forth in the fullness of time. Isaiah particularly speaks of him as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, that the government and peace will be upon his shoulders, and that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this, that in chapter 11 of Isaiah, he will be full of the Holy Spirit and power, that uh, he, the virgin shall conceive and give birth. So many scriptures are pointing to, in time, that this eternal covenant between the Father, Son, and the Spirit would be fulfilled with the Son of God uh, taking to himself a human nature. I mean, this is a glorious thing. Then we see in the fullness of time, we see the angel uh, coming uh, to Mary, um, and uh, she's betrothed to Joseph. And the angel uses words uh, to say the promise is coming to pass, that the power of the Most High, just as at the first creation, the power of the Most High will brood not in the darkness of, of, of non-creation or, or nothing uh, into something, but the, dark, but the, the, the Spirit will come in power and brood upon your dark womb, uh, your empty womb, and will uh, from there produce a new creation, a new humanity, the son of Adam, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of Mary. And at that moment, the spirit who causes her to conceive, uh, at that moment, the son of God unites himself permanently in hypostatic union to that newly created nature that the Holy Spirit conceives in the womb of Mary. And from her substance, he is born as God-man, the only redeemer of God's elect, who is both God and man, one person in two natures forever and ever. And then the glory of it is that as he grows um, in his humanity, this uh, person, this Lord Jesus Christ, uh, grows up. He's very early uh, uh, um, described as one who had favor with God and was growing um, in um, that love of God and that knowledge of God. Um, he had a true humanity, so he he learned. And we can remember that though his divine nature uh, is omnipotent and omnipresent um, and, uh, and 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 in every way God. Uh, his humanity was always local and learning, and um, and so he he developed like a normal human being. And at the proper time, perhaps under the teaching of John the Baptist, particularly maybe it was the preaching of John the Baptist that the Holy Spirit helped him to see when he says, "Behold the Lamb of God," that he knew at that moment um, in his humanity he was to fulfill that eternal covenant by um, being baptized to fulfill all righteousness and by being ordained, if you will, as the Holy Spirit came uh, like a dove upon him that day. He began his ordained uh, ministry, his public ministry, as we call it, in our humanity, perfectly loving God and his neighbor as himself, coming uh, to 
with a powerful onslaught as man against the evil one. His first uh, ministry opportunity was in the desert, in the wilderness against the tempter, against Satan. And he overcomes. And throughout his ministry, he heals and he helps and he shows gentleness and lowliness and compassion and love. And and then he continues to grow. But the main point of his ministry, he meets on the night and he's betrayed. And he says that this is the blood of the new covenant. This is what I came for. This was my mission. This was my destiny. When he's in the garden, he's using language, especially in John, that he was sent for this purpose, that this was part of an eternal covenant. This was part of an agreement between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And the Father hears his prayers through loud cries and tears. He's heard, but he nevertheless is crucified, for that was his mission. In our humanity, he takes upon himself the curse of God. Cursed is he who hangs upon a tree. And so this glorious one, this perfect one, this loving one was crucified for us. And as part of that eternal covenant we have in Isaiah 52 and 53, the promise is that you will see your seed, that the the Holy One will see your seed. But it will be through this that the Father will be pleased to crush you for our iniquities, not his own, because he had none, but crush him for our iniquities and by his stripes. All believers would be healed ultimately uh, from their sin. And so we have this uh, body of Jesus, this uh, uh, this humanity of Jesus, a full humanity given to him so that he can be obedient in our place, so he can die in our place, and then so he can be raised in our place because Romans 4.25 says that his resurrection is our vindication. His resurrection is our pronouncement from the father and judge of all the living and the dead that there is no condemnation that we're vindicated that uh, we are justified and uh, freely declared righteous not based on our righteousness but based on his and then when he ascends into heaven he ascends in a way that he did did not come before i mean this is the change Mm -hmm. that uh, is possible in the mystery of the incarnation for the changeless one That the son of God would take to himself permanently a human nature and then that he would go home, if as it were, into the presence of the father to experience the glory that he had with the father before the world began. But he would come now united permanently in hypostatic union to humanity. And that's our glory is that in heaven he's preparing a place for us as man, as the God man, and that he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses and he prays for us all the time. And so when we think of Jesus We don't just think of a far off transcendent God, though he is a a far off transcendent, holy, holy, holy God. We the reason for the incarnation, the reason for Christmas ultimately is that we understand that we have a sympathetic savior for sinners, a friend that we can call on who's just like us in every respect, yet without sin. And that's what Christmas is about, that wonderful, glorious infleshing or incarnation of God. That's very helpful, and I think what it draws out for us in such a powerful way is the reminder that if we're going to make sense of the Christmas story in anything beyond a kind of sentimental way, uh, we have to go all the way back to God's counsel in himself and his revelation of himself and the act of creation and the act of the fall and the act of Mm -hmm. redemption that's unfolding. And that's where the biblical authors start. They don't just start with baby Jesus in the manger. Mm -hmm. They build us up in various ways um, to, to really make sense of the baby in the manger and then to carry it on beyond that to see that he's not just the baby in the manger, but he's the boy in the temple and he's the man being baptized and he's ultimately the one who 
dies and is buried and is raised and is resurrected and is mm. ascended even now on high. And you have to take in that whole Christ uh, to make sense of this act of incarnation. But when you do that, you see uh, in, in, in 3D, as it were, mm. Um, what God is doing and why this is so precious and important to us. So Amen. thank you for you, those you, reminders. You think about the eternal covenant, how you were on God's mind. We were on God's mind. Uh, we were on the triune God's mind mm-hmm. and, and part of his purpose and plan before um, long before even creation. And that's powerful. That's and again, uh, for those who are new to perhaps thinking about eternal covenant, it's 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 Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, that according to the blood of the eternal covenant, it's made between the mm-hmm. Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And all the other covenants historically are just the outworking progressively of that one covenant. And uh, it's glorious. You know, I would just say in, in final, if I may, just as a by way of application, is I've thought about it over the years at Christmas time. I love Christmas time. I love listening to the hymns. I love listening to the to the Christmas songs, uh, both holy and, and, and some of the secular ones. You know, they're, they're happy little songs. Uh, it's a time when people do talk about peace uh, now and then. It's a good time to speak into uh, the cultural mm. situation, and many people often are listening anyway. Um, but uh, I find that if you if you miss the Christ and you miss the ultimate purpose for the season, uh, as the old saying goes, the, Jesus is the reason for the season. If you miss that, you tend toward either cynicism mm. at Christmas time or sentimentalism, mm. and neither one of us will neither one of them will do us any good. Uh, a cynical kind of heart um, because we're looking down at the way people really are, the thing, the way things turn out, mm-hmm. or perhaps the fact that it goes by so quickly or we lose loved ones. You know, this Christmas will be different for some of us mm-hmm. uh, because there are loved ones who are not there, and it can produce cynicism. Um, sentimentalism can be where we just idealize everything at this time of year and all the lights are up, or even hire lighticians. Or is, that, <laughs> is that a new word? You know, somebody to put up lights around our, our yard, and uh, we're all lit up, if you will. Sometimes literally. And and, and and we miss that we, we, we still feel empty inside. And it's only the incarnation that answers that deepest, deepest longing for a hope, um, a changeless feasting and real um, glorious time of, of understanding what love and peace are all about in Christ. Amen. Well, if you'd like to learn more about this and many other topics, you can find resources on our church website at www.katoctin.org. That's K-E-T-O-C-T-I-N. If you found this episode to be useful, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. And as always, we encourage you to join us for our next episode of The Shepherd's Voice.